You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut to the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. It's Katie Harris, and this is an episode of the Nursepreneur Podcast, and today we have on the show Kim Kraft, who is a nurse who worked for a company called Leaf Healthcare, and she is going to be talking to us today about medical device startups, kind of the challenges and issues that go into it, and it's just going to be a slightly different conversation today, but I think this is going to be really exciting and extremely informative. So Kim, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. So tell us about you as a nurse and then uh, kind of tell how you started out as a nurse and then how you got into LEAF and what LEAF is. <laughs> well, I've been a nurse for a long time, so I don't know if you want the whole story, but I started out as <laughs> Maybe a truncated a little. <laughs> <laughs> I started out as a corpsman in the Navy, and that's how I, I started my nursing career. And um, when just before I... Uh, uh, started with LEAF, I was the clinical educator for Children's Hospital in San Diego. Um, and I, I uh, was recruited from there by a very nice recruiter who spent three months trying to get me just to send his resume um, over. And I, I finally did. And when he sent me the uh, job description for the LEAF um, um, clinical educator, it was exactly, I mean, it looked like my resume had been written for this. But I do have a background in emergency room, um, uh, cath lab, I've done clinical research, uh, GI, a whole bunch of things before I actually uh, fell into um, um, clinical education as a, as a career. But um, the so first you, time I... I'm sorry, you were the clinical educator at your hospital when this um, opportunity arose? I was. I was okay. the clinical educator at Rady Children's. Okay. And we had just uh, implemented LEAF, so I was knee, or not LEAF, excuse me, uh, EPIC. So I was knee deep in teaching everyone EPIC and, and you know, talking doctors off the shelf because they were all ready to retire uh, when they first saw it. Um, some of my, my worst doctors turned out to be my super users, but that's another story. Um, <clears throat> I, um, when I first saw LEAF, it was... It was pretty unique. I mean, it's it's basically it automates turning protocols, which I had never considered before as a nurse. That that was something that we needed to do. But um, as I learned more and more about uh, how it, it came to be, um, it, it was it's, it was just a really easy system. It was all in color. There were no bells and whistles because we're all pretty much burned out on that. Uh, we're all on alarm fatigue. So basically, just by walking past a monitor, you could see in color red, yellow, or green, whether or not your patient needed to be turned or not. And it kept track of everything um, from uh, the tiniest of, of um, moves from left to right, sitting up, ambulating. So each time the patient moved, it would put you into a new position for your turn protocol as far as two hours goes. And as long as the patient was green, you were good. When you were yellow, it meant that you had a few minutes left before your turn. And when it was red, the nurses needed to go and uh, do something about the patient's movement. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, getting started, uh, what I learned was the, how this came to be was the uh, doctor who created it, Dr. Barrett Larson. He was a resident at Stanford and he was doing a, a community rotation at a burn unit. And a patient that they were caring for who had 70% burns all over their body 
had managed to survive that and be sent home. He went back to check on her several months later and found that she had been admitted and died of complications to a pressure injury. And what he said was in medical school, he, that's something that they don't teach you about. They don't teach you about pressure injuries. So that was something that became very passionate uh, for him and that's how this came to be. Um, yeah, the, so when did that happen? What was, um, how many years ago was this? Um, he had started, I think in right around 2012. Okay. So it's it, about, or 2010, because it's about, about 10 years uh, now in the making. And at about the five year point, when I was hired in 2015, they had just gotten FDA approval. Yeah, I, I like the timeline because, uh, you know, a lot of people think that they come up with an idea and then within six months they're making money and stuff. And I'll, yeah. I have never <laughs> found a story like that yet. <laughs> I'm still searching for it, but um, medical device is a process and it's something, it's a labor of love um, like this. Uh, so this is, this is great information so far. It, it absolutely is. And it became a labor of love for all of us. And, and one of the cool things about working with a startup, I mean, it definitely has its ups and downs. Uh, we, were, we were basically being funded by venture capitalists. So there was always that concern of, do we have enough money? Um, are we doing this fast enough? Are we pleasing them? You know, is it, are, are the results that we're getting uh, actually making them um, happy enough to continue to um, uh, provide the, the income for this. And that's, I think that's something that you don't really think about when you, when you jump into something like that is who's paying for this? Because it's, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars when you're talking about engineers, nurses, marketing, salespeople. There's a lot to pay for just to launch uh, a business. So when they brought you on, what was the thought process? Um, I, I, one, I think it's pretty innovative that they actually brought a nurse in, <laughs> but, you know, two, what were they thinking that you could help them to do and, and what was your kind of like role? Well, because they had just gotten uh, FDA approval in June of 2015, I came in in October and um, they needed to have some sort of clinical nurse who had, you know, was basically understood the hospital layout, understood how the nurses worked to teach and show the nurses how this device worked. When I first came on board, they had just gone live at their very first site in a little teeny tiny um, community hospital in, in uh, Southern California. And the medical, um, excuse me, the marketing director and the uh, sales uh, VP were running around, standing in front of the monitor and giving the nurses like a five minute insert <laughs> on how to use this. Well, you know, what you have to realize is this is not an IV pump. You can't walk in and say, hey, here's your new pump. Here's the, uh, you know, the on button. Here's where you put the infusion tubing. Have a nice day. The 1-800 number's on the side of the pump. This is a whole new piece of technology. Not only do the nurses not know what it is, they don't know why they need it. Yeah. So they, they really needed to bring in a nurse to show them why it was important. Um, and, and we had no data, we had no research backing it up. We had nothing. So we sort of had to build from the ground up, you know, through our own little successes on how to really sell this to the nurses because the CNOs, the directors, they were all on it. They, they understood that it reduced pressure injuries. The nurses, not so much. 
Yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said about that too, because, you know, we've had this issue, like I've been on doctoral projects where they're trying to do these change type of projects and everybody's resistant to it. And some of it comes back to the idea that you're telling the nurses that what they're doing is just wrong and they're ineffective and it's, you know, they're hurting people. And they, I think when you come in with a new device, you don't, you're so excited about it, but you don't hear yourself. That's what the nurses are taking away, that they're doing stuff wrong. And you're an outsider coming in telling them that they're doing stuff wrong. So to hire a nurse to come in and just help them to see like how it's not that they're doing stuff wrong, but how we can do something better and easier uh, is, is a huge, it's a huge thing that you can do. I absolutely agree. We got a lot of pushback. And, and with my background in clinical education, I not only was I, was I able to say, hey, I'm a nurse too, and I've done this, but I was able to set up some, some educational programs and processes that help the nurses that were not going to take days or hours to figure out. And I think that was the benefit of having someone who had a, an educational, uh, clinical education background. Um, and I used everyone, the sales reps, you know, our marketing director, we were all on board. They were all my clinical uh, <laughs> elves in the beginning until we hired more, more staff. Um, what I came to realize is that it's, and, and you were right, when you, when you go in and you start talking with the nurses, they all think that you're here to tell them that they're not doing the right, the right thing or they're not doing it correctly. And it, and it wasn't that. What I found is that they were turning their patients, they just weren't turning them enough or they weren't using the resources that were right there at their fingertips appropriately. Um, wedges are horribly under, underutilized, and I'm sure Gwen could tell you that as well. Uh, they're right there on the floor, but they're not accessible. They're not in the room, or they've run out and no one's told um, the uh, supply group that they needed to order more. Um, they have pillows at hand, and they, they've never been taught how to fold a pillow. I hadn't either. Um, until I went to work for LEAF, we went up to the VA in Idaho. We were on an orthopedic floor and those nurses can use pillows to, boy, to prop patients up. We had, that was a real lesson for me. They, they could fold pillows in ways I'd never seen before, but it was a real eye-opener and I brought that back to the floor and showed nurses how we really need to turn, to fold our, our pillows to honestly offload our patients enough to um, reperfuse that tissue. And that's what we're missing, is that reperfusion time. Yeah, so how did this, um, the implementation of this um, device, so it's a device, right? So why don't you actually tell yes. us about the device and how it works? It's a wear wireless wearable device the patient wears on their chest. It's, a, it's just a little bit bigger than a silver dollar. And it's placed on a, um, a basically a tegoderm uh, dressing. It sits right mid-chest. And it has an accelerometer in it, just like our cell phones. So as the patient moves from left to right in bed, not only can it tell you that they've moved in that direction, but it knows exactly how many degrees the patient has turned. Um, NPUAP says that a 30 degree turn is an adequate turn for, for tissue perfusion. The system is set at 20 degrees so that once you've surpassed that 20 degree mark, it will turn to the left or to the right. Um, when the patient is up more than 45 degrees, it'll let you know that they're upright. And the important part about that, especially when they're in bed, is that you go from your sacrum to your ischial tuberosities at about 45 degrees. So now you're on a different pressure point. So that would be considered a new movement and the, and the 
the screen would then change back to a new two-hour turn clock. So what I really tried to help the nurses understand is that um, even though we're, we have a turn clock in the room that says left, right, back, left, right, back, left, right, back, if the patient gets up and ambulates to the bathroom and comes back, they've reperfused themselves. So if they were on their, they have. So if they're on their back for two hours and they still want to watch Jeopardy and Jerry Springer, they can sit in bed on their, on their bum and watch TV for another you know, hour and a half and then they can be moved again. Or if they get up for breakfast, that's another reperfusion time. You've gone from your sacrum to your ischial tuberosities. The system even picked up when they were sitting up the tilt back and forth because as you tilt, you go from one side to the other. And that became important as we started working with patients with spinal cord injuries who were in, or in uh, skilled nursing who were in uh, wheelchairs all day. Yeah, and I think that's really important. Um, I think that's really important because at some level, like it sounds like uh, the nurses would actually be turning less at some level because if the patient did some of the movement on its his his or her own, then you wouldn't need to reposition. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're really only it, it it wasn't put on every patient. It was only put on patients with a Braden score of basically 18 and below. Most of the hospitals went with that. A few went with 16 and below but 18 and below was our standard. And what you find is a lot of those patients, they do. PT comes in and works with them. They're up with OT, their family walks them in the hallway. Obviously, if they're a ventilated ICU patient, they're going to need you more often. But your resources are really only being driven towards those patients who truly need the movement and yeah. not, not your walkie-talkies, as we would call them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so what, what did you learn? Like, what was the biggest uh, kind of takeaway from working at LEAF? And, and uh, you know, what kind of new skill sets did you, did you learn from being there? Well, I mean, being with a company where you're working from the ground up, where you have nothing, so you have to start from, the, from new, I found that very exciting. Um, in fact, I find, I'm finding it really hard to do anything else. Um, there... Um, what I learned is that you can't get down on yourself if things aren't working right. You just have to find a new way. Um, every single hospital had a, I, I had to create almost a different type of educational program for each hospital that we went into because they had different nursing cultures. Um, so that I think that was my biggest takeaway is that there's no, um, there's no one way to do this and you have to be prepared to be um, fluid in what you're doing and um, not, not be too hard on yourself when things don't work out. <laughs> now, were you responsible for getting into hospital systems or to connect with nurse managers in there or did they have a sales team for that? They had a sales team, but as soon as the sales team connected with either the CNO, it was, it was sort of a variety of ways that we, we would get in. Either they saw us, you know, at a, at a conference, um, the CNO might contact the, 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 um, the office, the wound nurses may have seen us. We, it was different ways that we got in, but as soon as we were able to set up a meeting with um, basically the CNO, IT became a very big issue. If you're dealing with a medical device, the very second person <laughs> you need to bring into the, to the picture is IT. They were our biggest stumbling block. Really? One, yes, um, especially with a, a device that's wireless that is going to possibly interfere with other things on the floor. We have to prove to them that that's not going to happen. And IT, I mean, everything in the hospital now was related to some sort of IT. 
Um, so they have a long list of things that they've got going on. The, the CNO may want this project to be done in June. IT says, no, we can't get it done until December. So that's, <laughs> I'm serious. Who knew you know? that IT had so much power in the hospital system? <laughs> they do, they do. And, and I learned that working at Epic, um, or working at Children's with Epic, because they had total control of Epic we'd have a clinic that was up and ready to go. And we're like, nope, sorry, can't go for three months. You, you know, IT can't get out there to put your, your monitors in. So, um, so IT was a big deal. But I was always involved in that very first meeting. And my job was to basically uh, give them a clinical overview of why you need this, what your benefits are, how you're going to reduce your, not just your pressure injuries, but your hospital-acquired conditions, pneumonia, and other things became, they, they started falling into the, the docket as well as we were spending more time with some of the larger hospitals in California. Um, yeah, no, I, think, I think that's exciting too, because like in the one hand, you have like the sales speak where they talk about new technology and this fun stuff and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but then like you have the logical reason that you want to do this, that it makes sense, it saves money, it saves lives. Uh, and it's just easy to, um, easy to use. So selling that aspect of it too, is, I think is, is huge. And to have a nurse do that is awesome. I think it's really important that the, when you're talking to nurses that you have a nurse in the room telling them that, yes, I've tried this and it works. You know, sales reps, they're really good at, uh, well, they, they're really good at doing what they do, which is sales. <laughs> sales. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like the, the big vision of it, but not the practical reality of it. You know, there's a right. big like, disconnect right. a lot of times. Right. And that's, I think that that's where I really helped a lot of the sales reps coming in you know, they would get so excited about uh, an implementation of the product. And I would walk into this ICU where I thought I had really had a good idea of how the manager felt, how the CNO felt. And I get there and the nurses have a completely different attitude. And I'm like, okay, you know, we have to tone down your enthusiasm just a little bit. You know, we're going to have to work on this for a couple of days. Yeah. And so they get really excited about a sale. That's their, that's their livelihood. Yeah, yeah. So I had this experience when um, my, my neurosurgeon and I went to a, a remote hospital to set up a comprehensive stroke unit because that's what management, upper management wanted it. Everybody wanted this. And we get to the unit and the nurses give us like the, that hard, dark stare of hate. And you're just like, this is not going to be easy. <laughs> you can put the stroke doctor in place, but that doesn't mean you have a stroke center. So it's right. really about building relationships. It absolutely, and it takes a long time. It takes mm -hmm. a lot longer than you think. Some places um, it takes maybe six or eight weeks and other places it takes six months. It just depends. And some places right about the time you think you've got everybody, you know, going down the same path, they have a turnover. They get a new manager, they get a new wound nurse, they get something that happens. And that happened to us. We were, um, we were working with three hospitals in Southern California that were all part of the same um, hospital organization. And they got a new wound nurse at corporate in Texas who'd never seen us, didn't know anything about us, and decided that um, they, didn't, they didn't need our technology. She would just in, institute one hour um, uh, walk arounds with the managers and make sure people were turning their patients. But what she missed was the whole idea of getting that patient to that over that 20 degree turn and knowing what they're doing, I mean, 20, two hour turn protocols have been around for 150 years. 
um, I don't know if you know this, but Florence Nightingale, back in the Crimean War, she created it because it took two hours for her turn team to get from one end of the hall to the other. And that's where we came up with two-hour turn. There's no science behind it. <laughs> oh, that's um, hilarious. <laughs> Duke University is doing a big study right now on two, th uh, two four, and six-hour turn protocols. So I'm really curious to see what comes out of that, that study. And Stanford did a big study for us too, but they're not looking at two-hour turn protocols, just looking at turning adequately overall. But anywho, this woman decided that, you know, this was going to work. And of course, their, their hospital-acquired pressure injuries just went skyrocketed after they pulled all of that out. But by that point, it was, there was no saving face at that point. They never went back. Mm -hmm. so, um, so one one change can just, you know, turn you upside down. Yeah. So what, so what is the, um, where is, where is LEAF today? Like what's going on with it and, and how's it expanding? Well, in uh, just this month or just this year in, in April, LEAF was uh, purchased by Smith and Nephew, which is a large um, international uh, wound care uh, company. So they integrated it into their advanced wound care um, group that has uh, skincare uh, creams, and they also have uh, preventive bandages, bandages, and they, they added leaf to that sort of um, circle of care. And that's, that's where it's uh, going now. I just spoke with the CNO, or excuse me, the CEO of our company, Barrett Larson, who's now their international um, uh, clinical uh, educator uh, there, their vice president of clinical education. And uh, they have quite a few sites that are coming up across the United States. We were just starting to expand over to the East Coast. We were primarily in California because the, the company was out of Pleasanton, but we were starting to uh, expand over to Philadelphia, North Carolina, Florida, just as we were being sold. So now they've, they've kind of, they've got sites in Texas, um, Minnesota, Mayo Clinic is on board. Uh, we had just brought on Stanford right before we went live, and they had done a study for us about a year before, uh, which really put us on the map. Once Stanford published, that was it. We were, we were good. <laughs> um, everybody knew who we were, who wanted to know. So that, that made a big difference in our lives. Absolutely. So if you I want know. your medical device to be found, uh, get somebody at Stanford to do a research project. There you go. <laughs> <They're> taken. <laughs> there you go. I mean, Kaiser Permanente used us for five years and didn't publish anything. So, oh. but not to say that Kaiser was not our, you know, our, our true foot in the door. Had they not let us in in the first place, Stanford may never have heard of us. Right. So there's some, you know, if you are lucky enough uh, to get into some of these large large organizations and I can tell you that it was the work of some very seasoned sales reps that were able to do this work for us um, you know they just had wonderful you have to have wonderful relationships and people who trust you Yes. And that's the one thing we talk about in business all the time because everybody asks me how do I market what do I do and I go out and make some relationships <laughs> you know it's not the answer everybody wants but it's so true like if you don't know the person that you want to know well find a way to get into their space and, and uh, provide value. I, um, I still keep in touch with a lot of the CNOs and a lot of the directors of the ICUs, you know, just because I don't know what I'm going to be doing in my future. Yeah. So, so that think. was the last question I had for you because like, what is uh, you have after LEAF was purchased, 
what happened and, and where are you now and what is next for you? Well, when I, when I, uh, when we first moved over to Smith and, uh, Smith and nephew, what I found was that it's just, it's a giant company and I really enjoyed that whole entrepreneurial spirit, uh, that, you know, thinking on, thinking on your feet, critical, critical thinking skills, like times 10 going on all the time. And, and, They've already got their pathways already set. They wanted things in a certain way. And there was nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't me. So um, I have moved towards more of a consulting um, sort of uh, venture because I do realize that there's a lot of hospitals out there that need, they, they need my help. <laughs> their, their nurses need to know how, you, how do you turn a patient? How do you know a patient's been there for longer than 15 minutes? It takes our skin about 15 minutes to reproduce appropriately. If you don't put a patient in a, in a position of comfort, they're not going to stay there. And that was one of the beauties of LEAF is when you walk out of the room, you turn a patient, you leave the room, you have no idea what they've done for the next 45 minutes until you return. And um, by positioning a, a patient in a position of comfort where they're truly offloading, they're going to stay there. I'm sorry, my not happy with being outside <laughs> they're going to stay there longer and rape perfuse awesome. so that's that's kind of where i'd like to to move on to that's great well the best of luck to you and thank you so much for talking about this because i think you know nurses that are considering putting it together a medical device or or um you know just knowing that the journey it might be long but it'll be worth it if it's something that you're truly passionate about and just the whole journey itself like it sounds like you're talking about it's just fun <laughs> it was i mean you had engineers and and marketing people there was just a, there was just a whole slew of us that created a synergy that really moved the company forward and i think that that's well worth anybody's opportunity to move into a startup i think you should try it because it's it's really cool that's awesome thank you so much kim thank you thank you katie